Hey, yeah, good morning. Good to see you guys. Thanks for joining us at the 9 a.m. service. I am excited to be back after my vacation last week. Kyle did an incredible job filling in for me, you guys. I loved his message so much, and I know that you did as well. It's kind of cool how it all worked out because at the start, like when I first planned this trip to go hike the West Coast Trail, uh, I was like, hey, Kyle, I'm going to need you to fill in, but it's going to be in the middle of this series, and I want you to feel free to preach on anything you want to, but you know, like we're going to be in the middle of the series, so we'll just pause the series, and then you can preach what you want, and then we'll pick it up when I come back. And the crazy thing is, he wrote this message, and I'm like, bro, this it fits in so incredibly well with the series that we've already been doing. So Kyle, thanks a million, man, for filling in last week. Many of you have asked me how the trip was, and I'm not going to bore you with all the details, but I'll tell you it was awesome and it was awful all at the same time, okay? West Coast Trail is a very, very difficult trail. I'm glad I did it, and I'm glad I'm done with it, if you're with me, all right? Now, it was hard enough the first few days, but then we started getting rain, okay? And once the rain came, I was soaking wet, I was miserable, I was not a happy person, you'd be glad that you weren't hiking with me. But I was able to make it off the trail pretty easily. During my hike, I met a family of people, and they were about a day behind me. You know, I was hiking just a little bit faster than they were, and so they finished the trail a day after me. And one day, the final day of their hike, they got caught by all the rain. We had a monsoon, essentially, that came through. And they were not able to ford or cross a river that had flooded. So the river ahead was completely impassable and behind them, they were caught by the tides. And so they were stuck. They were trapped. There were no campsites. They were on the beach. The tide was coming in. They didn't have anywhere to go. And very fortunately for them, they were able to locate literally a cave, a hole in the wall. And they spent a very cold, dark night hiding in a cave until the sun came back out and they were able to uh, continue their journey. Not a pleasant way to spend the night, I'm sure. I was glad I didn't have to do that. Now, here's the deal. There are many of you that are here this morning and you know what it's like to live inside of a cave. You know what it's like to dwell in some place that is not typical, it's not healthy, it's not happy, it is a place of darkness and despair. And so what we've been trying to do throughout this series called Out of the Cave is to help you take steps out of darkness, out of depression, and into the light of Jesus. You're not living in a literal cave, but you're living in that figurative cave of anxiety, mental illness, darkness, despair, and we want to do what we can from the scripture to help you walk in in light through Jesus. And so what we're going to do today as we finish up this series is we're going to continue Elijah's story from 1 Kings chapter number 19. And in this uh, conversation, we're going to cover some ground that we've already talked about over the last few weeks. And then we're going to talk more about what God does to help Elijah transition out of his, his season of depression. I think this is going to be very, very helpful. So 1 Kings chapter number 19, we're going to start reading in verse number four. But for those of you guys that maybe haven't been with us, for each message of the series, let me remind you of who Elijah was. Elijah was a very famous and important prophet in the Old Testament one of the most important figures in ancient Israel's history. And we've talked about how in the book of 1 Kings, for three solid years, he has been running at 100%. Like he has just been go, 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 serving God, doing what God tells him to do. And uh, he's basically, he's lived life to the full without any break or margin whatsoever. And one day after experiencing some of the greatest miracles that are ever recorded in the pages of the Bible, one day his body his mind and his soul just give out. They can't take it anymore. 
And so we pick up the story here in 1 Kings 19, and we'll read uh, starting in verse number 4. So look at what the Scripture says. This is going to be familiar if you've been with us for the last few weeks. The Scripture says, Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. I mean, Elijah's in a desperate situation. He is sincere when he prays, God, just kill me. It would be better off for me to be gone than for me to be suffering this way. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around and there beside his head was some baked bread on hot stones and a jar of water. I don't know what kind of bread it was. In my mind, it was like either pumpernickel, which is my favorite kind of bread. I know most people are like, what, brown bread? No way, that's my favorite. Maybe it was like some tasty non bread. Oh man, I don't know. But God, maybe it's just manna, okay, I don't know. There was bread and there was water. So Elijah ate and drank and he lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came to him again and touched him and said, get up and eat some more or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up and drank the food and it gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and nights to the Mount Sinai. All right. So in this passage here, we're going to find five, or in this, the total chapter here that we're going to read, not just the verses I did. Uh, we're going to find five things that God brings Elijah's way to help him step out of the cave. Five things that help him transition from darkness to light, from out of this season, season of despair and into this season of hope and prosperity and, uh, you know, good things for the future. And so the first one that we see here from verses uh, three through eight is physical recovery. That if you want to transition out of the cave, if you want to take this step beyond what you've currently been experiencing, then there needs to be a physical recovery that happens in your body. Now, I want you to pay close attention, okay, because there are going to be five things that come along here. But the first one, the one that the angel starts with is physical things, food, water, rest. If an angel showed up, you would expect the angel to look at Elijah and say, what are you doing here, dude? Get your spirit right, you dirty sinner. You need to turn to Jesus. Read the Bible. Pray. You need to fast, bro. Get your soul right, and then the body and the mind will take care of itself. That's what you expect the angel to say, but it's not. The angel starts with the physical. Why? It's not because the physical is more important than the spiritual, emotional, or relational. It's because it is as important as the physical or the emotional, spiritual, and the relational. See, here's what happens. And we talked a little bit about this in the first week of this message series, but we have a tendency in our, in, our, uh, in our world to make depression and anxiety about superficial things, or we tend to kind of compress down what's going on. And so there are people outside of the church, and they'll say, oh, this is just a physical problem, and you just need to take a pill, or you, know, you need to get some rest or exercise, or whatever the case may be. And as spiritual people, we're like, no, it's not only physical, it's spiritual, and that's what we need to focus on. But we can go too far in that direction, and we can only focus on the spiritual, and we can ignore the physical. That's the risk that typically Christians run. And so what what we want to notice here is that Elijah, when God comes to him and says, hey, I want to help you. I'm going to get you out of this and into the next. He starts with the physical. He gives him the things that are going to sustain him, the things that are going to bring health and vitality to his body before he moves on to the spiritual, the emotional, and the relational. And listen, I'm telling you guys that for some of you, this is the thing you've been missing. You have ignored the physical 
toll that your depression and anxiety has taken on you. It may be physical in cause, but the symptoms are almost always physical. And so what you'll find with people who are battling through depression and anxiety and despair and things like that is that their physical being gets completely out of whack. So somebody who is suffering from depression will often sleep all day. There's an imbalance there. Or maybe if you're battling anxiety, you will not be able to sleep at all. You'll just be up at like 3 a.m. and you're like, wow, it'd be great if I could go to sleep, but you can't. There are people who go through these seasons and they, they eat and they eat and they eat because it's the only thing that makes them feel better. And then there are others and it's like, yeah, food has lost all meaning. I don't even care anymore if I eat or not, right? There are people that will drink and drink and drink and drink. And so what happens is we find this imbalance between the physical and the other portions of our life. And so if you want to take this next step into the new season that God has for you, one of the things that you're going to have to do is to address the physical symptoms that are going on. Guys, some of you need to take a freaking day off. I say that with all the respect in the world, but you know what I'm saying? Like you cannot work. God did not create you to work seven days a week, 52 weeks a year for decades on end. You cannot sustain that pace. And you're like, yeah, but you don't know everything I've got going on. And if I take a day off, then there's work that's not going to be done and all that. Listen, can I tell you the reason that you're scared to take a day off is because you have control issues. That's the real reason. The reason that you won't take a day off is because you're like, what if things fall apart when I'm not there to handle them? I experienced that last week. I'm like, man, I'm gone. And you know, what if things aren't? Listen, things don't work because of me. Okay. And, and the fact that I was hesitant and the fact that I didn't want to take time away, that was not like, I, you know, it sounds so noble. I'm just like, oh, I care so much about this church. I don't want a single hour away from you all. No, that's sinful. It's not noble. Some of you need to take a day off, and it is the thing that's going to give you the breakthrough. It's going to help you to come out of the cave. Some of you should focus more on investing in your physical side. You need to get some exercise. It doesn't, you need to go to the gym and sweat it out and drink the protein shake and all that. You don't need to do that, but go for a walk, you guys. Get some fresh air. You know what I'm saying? Jump on the treadmill if that's what you got to do. Do some P90X videos on, on your TV. I don't know what it is, like Tybo, hip-hop abs, whatever, okay? Do something that's going to get you some exercise, something that's going to get you moving, because when your body starts to feel better, then your mind starts to feel better as well. You need to focus on what you're eating. I know that sounds silly, and I'm not telling you to go on the keto diet like me, or I'm not telling you to, like, you know, do whatever other di crazy diets there are out there. I don't care what you do, but the point is, like, a lot of times we'll use food to medicate, and uh, we've got to be really cautious that what we put into our body, food and drink-wise, brings health. It sets us up. It's, it's almost like God is not going to move us into the next season until we are willing to do the things that are necessary to uh, promote the vitality, the life that he wants to place inside of us. So I say lovingly. I really do say lovingly, but also directly, some of you guys, you've really got to start investing in your physical body and making sure that you have a recovery that is going to allow you to go where you need to go. So quickly, let me also say this because I think it's important. Um, this could also involve medication in certain cases. Now, I don't think that medication, if you're, if you're battling depression, anxiety, you know, that sort of thing, I don't think medication should be the first step. Here's the deal. Medications almost always work. 
You can go to the doctor and he will give you a pill that will make you feel less anxious, that will get rid of some of those dark feelings. But can I say that's a Band-Aid? That covers the symptoms. It doesn't cover the actual cause. And so what happens then is you'll go on medication for the rest of your life. You'll never get off those pills. And so there are times and places and seasons in which medication is correct and you should do it. It's biblical. There's nothing wrong with it. But it shouldn't be your first go-to. You should focus on some other things. Um, I'll also tell you that uh, I, I see in our world today a lot of self-medicating, right? So it's easy to go onto Google and search for what you need. And so you go to the doctor and you're like, I just need a Zanny. If you'll give me a prescription, then I'll feel better. Or you can go down to the 420 shop and you can buy all the things in the world that are going to make you feel better today and tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And the problem is it works, but it only covers it doesn't heal. And God doesn't want to cover what you're dealing with. God wants to heal what you're dealing with. And so, listen, there's a place for CBD, and you can go to your doctor and get a prescription for whatever other things. That's all fine and good, but that's not the answer. It is part of the solution that God might bring your way. There has to be a physical recovery, and we cannot ignore it because God didn't ignore it when Elijah needed to move out of the cave. All right, look at the next passage here. Again, We've read these verses, but I think they're really good. Uh, The Lord said to Elijah, what are you doing here? Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty. The people of Israel have broken their covenant with you. They've torn down your altars and killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Uh, he goes on to say here, uh, the, the Lord says to Joshua, to Joshua, to Elijah, go out and stand before me on the mountain. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by and there was a mighty windstorm that hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast. That the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. And the wind, after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. Then, after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak, and he went out, and he stood at the entrance of the cave. Hey, the other thing that, uh, the second thing, rather, that God brings Elijah's way is a God encounter, okay? A God encounter, an encounter with God himself. So if, if in the physical recovery, we're addressing the physical aspect of our being, in this we're addressing the spiritual aspect of our being. And there is a spiritual aspect to depression, anxiety, despair, mood disorders. There is a spiritual component of all of those things that needs to be addressed. And so God comes to him. He has this uh, kind of appearance. He makes this uh, encounter happen with Elijah. But what's fascinating is how God it has this encounter with Elijah. So remember, same mountain, Mount Sinai, uh, a couple hundred years before, God appeared to Moses. And when he appeared to Moses, he appeared in a mighty wind. He appeared in earthquakes. He appeared in thunder and lightning and fire. Remember all of that? And yet, when Elijah encounters God, God, he does all of those things, but he's not present in any of those things. Instead, he shows up where? In the whisper in the quiet, okay? This is really important. This is the only place in the Bible where it says that God whispers or that God shows up kind of in the quiet moment. But what I think this communicates to us is that God will meet us where we are and he will give us exactly what we need. God will meet us where we are and he will give us exactly what we need. So Moses needed a glimpse of God's power and majesty and might and glory. He needed to know that the God they were following was bigger than the army they were fleeing from. But Elijah needed to know that God loved him. He felt like a failure. He couldn't see any hope. 
He didn't believe that he was worthy of even being loved or acknowledged by God. And so in this moment, rather than showing up in this mighty display, God shows up in a gentle whisper because that's what Elijah needed. Think about what a whisper is. A whisper, it implies intimacy, closeness. You've got to be close to somebody to whisper. If a stranger comes up and whispers to you, you're like, bro, get off me. What are you, what are you doing, man? But lovers whisper. Family whispers, children whisper. There's a level of closeness and intimacy that comes with a whisper. And so when God speaks to Elijah in a whisper, he's saying, man, I am here with you in this cave. And I'm going to be here with you when we walk out of this cave as well. My fear is that there are a lot of Christians today and we are only looking for God in the hype moments of the week that you believe the only time you're ever going to encounter God is inside of this building when the band is up on stage and they're dropping your favorite banger and that's the moment that you know. Or when the pastor delivers some kind of tweetable truth, you know, you're like, oh, that's good. I'm going to make sure that makes it into my instant story. And you're like, there we go. Now I've had my God moment. Or for some of you, you can't do it here. You've got to flee out to the mountains. You're like, that's the only place I ever encounter God, right? It's in these big, grandiose moments. But can I tell you, you can have God encounters absolutely anywhere. You can have an encounter with God in the morning with a cup of coffee or tea in your hand and having a quiet conversation with God. You can have a God encounter when you are grinding through a reading of the book of Leviticus. You know what I'm saying? Anybody who's read Leviticus knows it's a grind. And you can encounter God in those wild and confusing verses. You can have an encounter with God around your dinner table with your family at night. See, when we look for God only in these big moments, only in the places where we believe he might be shouting, then we miss the places and times in which he's whispering. We think God only exists in the dynamic, but over and again, God exists in the intimate. And so I want to challenge you to start looking for God, not just in those obvious places, but also in those quiet places in which God might not be shouting to you, but he may very well be whispering to you. So there's got to be a physical recovery. That's what God brings Elijah's way. There's a God encounter that absolutely happens. Uh, but look at what these next verses say. And I think this is where we start to pick up the story um, anew. We read here that Elijah, uh, God says to Elijah, what are you doing here? He replied, I've zealously served the Lord God Almighty. The people of Israel have broken their covenant with you. They've torn down your altars. They've killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too, all right? So I think getting out of the cave is gonna require you to accept your true identity, your true identity. So we've got a physical recovery, God encounters, then a true identity. When, uh, when God is talking to Elijah, Elijah rehearses this story. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. He starts telling this same story story. He repeats the exact same language uh, twice in this chapter. Why? Because this is a story he's telling about who he is and what his reality is like. And we've talked about how his reality was false. He was not going to die. He was not the only one that was still serving God. Not all the Israelites were faithless and had turned their back on God, but he had started to believe that I'm no better than all the other failures that came before me. In fact, when God says, I want you to come out and have a conversation with me, he goes out 
out, and there's this little detail that's put in here that you might kind of ignore. It says Elijah covered or cloaked his face. Now, look, we're in a room full of people that are cloaking their face, and it's going to be really easy for some of you guys to take what I'm about to say, and you're going to apply it to, you know, our current situation. And let's, let's not go there, please, because that's not the point of the text, okay? All right. But what I do believe is happening here is that in this moment, Elijah is cloaking himself before God. He's cloaking his identity. He is hiding himself. This becomes a barrier that he puts up between him and God. You see? And so rather than believing what God says is true about him, he's afraid and he wants to hide and he wants to hide behind the narrative that he's been telling himself this whole time. So again, he says, I'm a failure. I'm no better than my ancestors. Everybody's faithless and so am I. This is all terrible and nothing's ever gonna be okay again. But what we see God speaking into Elijah's life, and you'll see this throughout, if you go on to read the rest of his story, is that he had a different identity that was not tied to how well he was doing, how well the country was doing. His identity was in something better than his circumstances and his accomplishments. That's why when you come to Connect Church, you guys, we are always going going to tell you that you are a beloved son and daughter of God, because it's true. I don't know what you were doing last night. Doesn't matter. You're still a beloved son or daughter of God. I don't know what you've accomplished for God's kingdom or what you haven't. Doesn't matter. You are more than a conqueror through Jesus who loved him, who loved you and gave himself for you. Your identity is based in your relationship to God and in nothing else. And so until you really grab a hold of that, you're always going to feel like, oh, I don't measure up, or I'm not sure if I measure up, and it's going to dog you. And so I think there has to be this intimacy that that we have with God, and then there's got to be this recognition that I am his child, and things are going to be okay, because God literally is working everything out according to his good and great plan for his children. See, in our world today, There are basically three narratives. There are three things that we are told, okay? The first one is from our enemy. And our enemy says, you will never be worthy of love or acceptance. Never. No matter what you do, you are too broken, too flawed, too screwed up, What? not worthy. Never, okay? Then the world says, you might be worthy of love and acceptance. We'll see. Maybe if you can get married, Maybe if you can get that little blue check mark next to your name on Instagram, maybe if you can become wealthy, maybe you can prove that you're worthy. We'll see. But God says you are worthy. You are loved. I have made you worthy in Jesus. And it's not about what you accomplish or do. And it's certainly not a, you know, there's no hope for you. That's that's a lie from the enemy. All right. So we have got to accept and embrace our identity from God to stand in front of God fully known, but know that we're fully loved. All right. Two more. And this is this is where we get to uh, brand new stuff. Okay. here we go. Uh, First Kings chapter number 19. Look at verses 15 and 16. The Lord told Elijah, go back the same way you came and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, I want you to anoint Haziel, the king of Aram, and then anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, to be king of Israel. Then anoint Elisha, notice that's a slightly different, not Elijah, Elisha. I want you to alight Elisha, the son of Shaphat from the town of Abel-Molol, to replace you, that's, anyway, uh, to replace you as my prophet. Okay. You want to get out of the cave? You know what you need? You need a new assignment. You need a new purpose in life. 
Okay, so from this point on, God says, Elijah, I've got a job for you. Your job is now going to be to go and anoint the future. You're going to go and prepare the people who will be king. And you're going to go ahead and find and anoint and train your own successor. You're going to get ready for the future. Your day is coming in which you're not going to be the man anymore, but I want you to work from now on to getting ready for that point so that the work of God continues even after you're gone. There is a new assignment that God gives to Elijah. I think this is so key and critical. And in fact, psychology backs all of this up. You know, there are a couple of competing theories when it comes to psychology and man's search for meaning and things like that. And of course, one of the prominent voices is Sigmund Freud. And Freud, to simplify things a lot, basically taught that people are ultimately driven by pleasure. That's what we're about. That's what we're after in life. And people will be the happiest if they do the things that make them the happiest or feel the most pleasure. And then on the other side, you have a school of psychology that's exemplified by uh, a guy named Victor, Victor Frankel. And Victor Frankel was a Holocaust survivor and he was a psychologist and he wrote a lot about what he experienced in the Nazi concentration camps and all those different things. And what he said is that people don't live or they're not motivated. They don't find joy and meaning in life because of pleasure. They find it because of purpose. Pleasure is fleeting. It only ever lasts for a little while. And then it's not enough. And you got to keep going and finding more and taking more and sleeping with more and whatever else, right? So he says it's not about pleasure. That's ultimately going to leave you unsatisfied. It is about purpose, knowing that your life matters, that it means something. Listen to this quote. I mean, this is so good. He said, people have enough to live by, but nothing to live for. They have the means, but they have no meaning. Many of you have the means and you're still missing the meaning. You know that you've got like all the stuff that you kind of thought you should have in life and it's fine, but there's still a hole. Something is missing. And that's because you were created on purpose for a purpose. You are given an assignment while you're here on earth. And the assignment is not to make money. The assignment is not to go on awesome vacations. The assignment is not to get a title after your name. The assignment is to invest into eternity. And if you will do that, you'll find more meaning and purpose. You'll find a reason to get out of bed every single morning that goes beyond just you. There has to be a new assignment that comes your way. And until you embrace that assignment from God, you're always gonna be wondering, does it matter? Is there any point to any of this? If you'll allow me, I'll make a pitch for the dream team. I will, because this is like a step. It's not the step. You weren't created to serve on the dream team at Connect. Can I tell you that? God did not put you here so that you could serve on the dream team at Connect. God put you here to make an eternal difference on this planet. And the Connect dream team is a place that we can help you to do that. And so listen, I'm going to challenge you. We need you now more than ever. Do you know that? Running three services, it is hard. We've got, you know, kids volunteers that are up there working two services a Sunday, teaching your children. We've got people that are, you know, serving week after week after week. And it would be a whole lot easier if we could get some of you guys who sit and consume on Sunday mornings to stand up and contribute. I'm not here to step on your toes. I'm not here to step on toes. I'm, I'm not. Because I don't want something from you. I want something for you. Genuinely, you will find more purpose, more meaning, more value in your Sunday experience, in your Monday to Saturday experience, if you are contributing to something eternal. I don't have a family. I'm not leaving a legacy. I'm probably never going to have kids. But I'm not worried about that. Because I know that when I pass from this life into the next... I will have left a mark. Yes. 
I'm going to be in heaven and they're going to be people that come up and they're like, I'm here because of what you guys did at Connect. That's good enough. That's more than enough. It's a whole lot better than going and pushing paper for some corporation that doesn't even know my real name, you know? Like, I, I just want to work at something that means and matters. And I believe you do too. And that's why God makes it a part of Elijah's healing journey. He needs a new assignment. We need you to contribute if you're able and willing. And I believe that you are. All right, final thing. And then I got to wrap it up. Look at verses 19 and 21. This is so interesting to me. Verses 19 and 21, the scripture says, so Elijah, remember, he's the main prophet. He went and found Elisha, who's gonna be his replacement. Uh, He found him plowing in a field. And there were 12 teams of oxen in the field and Elijah was plowing with the 12 teams. So Elijah went over to him and threw his cloak across his shoulders and then he walked away. Elisha was like, what the heck is this? He left the oxen standing there and uh, he ran after Elijah. And they have a short conversation. And then if you drop down into the final verse of the chapter, the scripture tells us that Elisha then went with Elijah as his assistant. You know what we see here? And I'm gonna show you a couple more verses that are gonna prove this to you. We see that if you wanna move out of the cave, if you wanna step from darkness into light, you are going to need relational strength. You are going to need people around you that will help you to make this transition, to move into this next season. Relational strength. Now, uh, this is more, like I said, it's more than just this. If we flip on over to uh, 2 Kings, chapter number two, verse one, and two, listen to this, and it's not on the screen, so you just need to listen, okay? This is Elijah and Elisha. They've gone on. They've been doing ministry for a couple of months together. And we read here in this next book of the Bible, Elijah and Elisha were traveling from the town of Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here for the Lord has told me to go to Bethel. Okay, so God brings him someone that's gonna help him. And he's like, "Now nah, I wanna do this by myself. But Elijah replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went down together to Bethel. Later, Elijah said to Elisha, stay here for the Lord has told me to go to Jericho. I know you're supposed to be my assistant and God brought you to help me and I need you and all that, but I don't really need you. You stay here. I'm gonna go on to Jericho. But Elijah replied again, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went on together to Jericho. Later, Elijah said to Elisha, stay here for the Lord has told me to go down to the Jordan River. This is like three times your bro is trying to dump off Elijah. Elijah was bad company apparently, all right? But again, Elisha replied, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went on together. Listen, this is Sam and Frodo level stuff right here. It's like, I will carry you if I have to, okay? You need people in your life who say, I will never leave you. I don't care how hard you try to get rid of me. I don't care how hard your days are. I don't care how ugly you get in your depression and anxiety and darkness. You're not gonna do this alone because God has brought me into your life and you into my life and we need each other. And we're gonna get through this thing together. That's why you should be in a connect group. You need people who are gonna say, I will not leave you alone in this. You're gonna say, go away. I don't feel like dealing with people today. So what? I'm here for you. I love you. We're going to get through this thing together. Relational strength is a key component to moving out of darkness and into light. It is one of the things that God is going to use to set you free. So quit running from it. Quit trying to get rid of the relationships that God has brought your way to help you to take the next steps in your journey. Oh, five things. Physical recovery, a God encounter, true identity, new assignment, and relational strength. Listen, the 
the problem of depression and anxiety is multifaceted. It is complex. That means that the answer, the solution, it has to be more than a pill. It has to be more than a prayer. It's got to, it's got to encompass and address all the things that are going on in your life right now. And I believe even from the story of Elijah, we see how God wants to holistically address the things that you're dealing with so that you can find true healing and step out of the cave and into the light. God, I pray that your word has uh, found root in people's hearts and lives today. And I ask that, Lord, they would make the changes that they need to by the power of your spirit so that they could move from darkness to light. They could transition from death to life. They could truly live life overflowing in you, Jesus. So help us, God, help us, help us. We ask all this in Christ's name, amen.